Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You have been saved by faith through grace, not of any works, lest you should boast. We can't do anything to work our way into salvation, but it is by faith. And this woman demonstrated her faith by going to Jesus. And that's probably the best way to describe salvation. It's not works. It's not religion. It's not by just praying a specific prayer. The only way to salvation is by faith, by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that we are sinners in need of a Savior and in need of forgiveness. Today on Practical Christian Living, we look at such an incredible and powerful lesson in the appointment where we find Jesus at the home of a Pharisee where a sinful woman comes to show her faith to the only one who could forgive her. Here's more from Luke chapter 7 with Robert Furrow. Now let's think about the fact of being forgiven much and loving much. We, we quoted in the beginning of our study, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so all of us are sinners. Some of us have tried to live with integrity. People try to live with a, be the best people that they can possibly be. Some people have been religious their whole time. Other people just go all out into sin. Other people are just sinners and they just go out and seek it. They live for it. When I think of my father, I think of a man who wanted to live in integrity. And it's easy for someone who wants to live with integrity to not think that there's anything wrong. They looked good from a human perspective. And so when Jesus says, the one who was forgiven little, he's talking about Simon, who's trying to live this life that is, uh, that has uh, integrity to it. And he looks good, but he still has sin that has to be dealt with. But in reality, the sin of Simon is greater than the, the sin of the woman, or at least as bad. At one point, Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, and this must have blown him away, he said, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you because their arrogance and their pride held them outside. But tax collectors and prostitutes understood their sin and they came to God. Sometimes we think that people that have a lot of sin in their life are the farthest away from God when they are actually the closest to God. And don't mistake this to mean, well, I got to go out and get sinning a lot so I love Jesus a bunch. Because that's not the context. That's not what he's saying. Simon could have recognized, I am a proud, arrogant hypocrite. Jesus had enough to say to the scribes and Pharisees about how bad their lifestyle was, that, that he could have easily have been just had the weight of his sin fall upon him. Maybe it's a lot easier for a woman that has practiced prostitution to feel the heavy weight of guilt. Or maybe someone that has gone out and, and purchased sex to feel the heavy weight of guilt. More so than someone who has this sin of pride or thinks they're better than other people or, or, or is blocking other people from entering in by telling people that they have to be more like him. And maybe that's really what makes the love great when we realize how much God can forgive, how much he will forgive. 
And we sometimes don't feel like we've been forgiven a lot. You might think you're a pretty good person and you gave your life to Christ and maybe the love of God isn't there. And what we need is a good dose of what we really look like. That the heart of man is black and that there's enough sin in our lives. We have enough sin for us to say, my sin would have cast me apart from God forever and therefore I'm so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus upon that cross. And so in verse 48, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And when those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? This is something that Jesus did a few times. He would just turn to someone and say, your sins are forgiven. It's something that, that no one would have dared to ever have said before. Because how can your offenses to other people be forgiven by me? And the answer would be, they can't be. But Jesus is God and is the one who can forgive sins, something that is invisible. And when he first introduced this topic, it was early on in his ministry when that man who was paralyzed was lowered in a roof in front of him. And he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. First thing he says to him. And I make a joke about the four guys holding up the, the bed lowering it down on ropes. No, we didn't tear the roof off. We didn't bring him here, climb on the roof, tear the roof off, drop him down in front of you to have his sins forgiven. He's paralyzed. But Jesus knew that greater than this man's need to walk, he was paralyzed, was that his sins would be forgiven. That's the greatest need of this woman. That was the greatest need of that paralyzed man. And when he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven, it's not because she, she wept on his feet. It's not because she kissed his feet. It's not because she wiped his feet with her hair. It's because she came to the Savior and she humbled herself and she was looking for that. And I love that. Sometimes we get so stuck on methods, we think the way people get saved. You know, I have a prayer that I've prayed for literally 35 years, maybe even more than that leading people to Christ. You guys all know the prayer for those of you who regularly attend because I ask you to say it. Would those of you who raise your hand and everyone else say this prayer after me? Because I figure it's okay. We can pray the prayer. I got to pray it every time. You might as well too. I got to bring you in with me on that. Plus, it's good for you to know that prayer, but it's not a prayer that saves you. Even the thief on the cross just said, remember me when you're coming into your kingdom. This was her point of faith. And I love that it wasn't even words because it's really the heart. It's not following a certain, okay, let me, let me repeat a prayer after you. I was led to Christ by repeating a prayer after someone, but it wasn't the repeating the prayer that saved me. It wasn't me saying, yes, I want to invite Jesus into my life that saves you. When you raise your hand in church and surrender your life to Christ and, and invite him in, it's not raising your hand that saves you. It's not repeating the prayer that saves you. It's what's going on inside of you that made you raise your hand. It's what's happening in you that you say, yes, I want to receive him. I can think that this woman probably thought that she would never be received by anyone who was religious, that she would always be an outcast. But to hear the teachings of Jesus, to see the things that he said, she opened up. And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. Now, what a thing to say. That's kind of forward-looking. That's looking into, into the future. They were saved by works. This is Judaism. They have the law. Their great prophet is Moses. They believe they're saved by works. There's still people today who believe that you're saved by works. And Jesus says, you have been saved by your faith. That reminds me of what Paul said when he said in Ephesians, you have been saved by faith through grace, not of any works, lest you should boast. We can't do anything to work our way into salvation, but it is by faith. And this woman demonstrated her faith by going to Jesus. And that's probably the best way to describe salvation. Whatever the vehicle is, if it's going forward somewhere, if it's, if it's raising your hand and praying a prayer, if it's being nailed to a cross and asking him for help, if it's coming to his feet and crying at his feet, throwing yourself before him, coming to Christ is the way that we are saved. And when we come to him and our hearts are open, then he forgives us of our sins and we're saved. I want to, uh, as we come to the end of the lesson, I want to talk about each lesson that we can learn from each of these three people, the Pharisee, Jesus, and this woman. But before that, I have four verses about the forgiveness of sin that I want to read you. One of them I quoted a couple of times, but let me read it anyway. First of all, there's 1 John 8 and 9. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Simon thought he was okay, so he never went to Jesus. The woman knew she wasn't okay. And she came to Christ. If we say we don't have any sin, then we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's so much in that verse, 1 John 1, 9. It says, again, if we confess our sins, if we go to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, if we admit it, he is faithful to forgive us. He won't turn you away. If you confess your sins, if you honestly confess your sins to him, then he will forgive you. Is there anything that you really need to come before God now with and honestly say to him, Lord, I've sinned. God, forgive me. He's faithful to forgive you, which means he's going to do it. He's faithful and he's just in doing it because of the work of the cross, because he took our place. When he forgives my sin, he became my substitute. So not only is he faithful and he will do it if I confess, that's an incredible promise, but he's just in doing it. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to forgive us from sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Two different works. Number one is to immediately cleanse us from sin. It takes away our sin. We stand before God pure and holy, but then he leads us in the ways of righteousness. As we begin to walk now, we have his help that we can walk in purity. And I believe for genuine Christians, God is always at work sanctifying us. We are being sanctified, the Bible says, day by day. God is working in you, working you into a better place that we would not give our way to sin, but live for him. Romans 3, 23 and 24, and I quoted Romans 3, 23, but let me read both of them together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That puts everybody under condemnation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
We've all sinned, but that's not the end of the story. We are justified freely. James 4, 8 gives us this great promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I think of this woman as such a great example of that. She draws near to Jesus and Jesus forgives her sins. Feeling far from God, feeling like your faith is dry, then draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It then goes on to say in the same verse, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James doesn't stop with draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He says to cleanse your hands, repent from your sins, come to him with a broken and a contrite heart that we might be able to find forgiveness. And finally, in Acts 3, 19, one of my favorite verses on forgiveness, repent therefore. The word repent means to go a different direction. It means you recognize the sin and you tell him that you need help to overcome it. We've all been a slave to sin, but we're set free under him. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When there's sin in our lives, we are separated from God. But when the sin is gone, then times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. That's what we as Christians have discovered when we have that right relationship with God, when we have confessed our sins, when we've kept short accounts and everything is right between us and God and we are walking with Him, there is a time of refreshing that God gives us by His very presence in our lives. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you just kind of have unrepented, unconfessed sin in your life. Just keep short accounts. Ask Him to forgive you daily. He told Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part in me. Well, it was just his feet. And Peter said, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, I don't need to wash your hands and your head. They're already clean. But all I need to do is wash your feet. As we make our way through this world, as we make some decisions that are, are poor decisions or maybe sinful decisions, our feet get dirty. And we have to come back periodically and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Make things right. Keep short accounts. And then you have the presence of God and there's times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. Now let's consider the lessons that we can learn from each one of these people. Number one, Simon is a sinner. And, and Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about the great sins of the Pharisees. But he doesn't know it. Is it possible that you think you're a good person, but you don't really know it? I grew up in the United Methodist Church and I've shared with you before that my father died when I was a teenager, 14 years old or about to turn 14. And um, I remember after my dad had been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, I remember walking down the hallway and seeing him laying on his bed, just staring at the ceiling. Obviously pensive, contemplating. I don't know what he was thinking. But I remember after he died and after I came to Christ, because it wasn't long after his death that I gave my life to Christ, I remember wondering if my father was truly saved, if he believed he was okay because he went to church. Because the Methodist church that I went to taught that if you believed in God, then, then you would be saved. If you believed that he was there is kind of what they taught. And I wonder if he was ever saved. 
And, and I remember thinking, and me and my dad didn't have the best relationship. And at that point in my life, I remember thinking, I really hope he's in heaven. And the hope that I had was seeing him there on his bed. Because I think, what does a man who believes that God exists do when he knows he's dying? And maybe he didn't have the exact words. But men like the thief on the cross and like this woman who was saved as she cried at his feet, and maybe my dad, as he, as he made peace with his creator, as people like to say, without ever going, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, but making things right between him and God. Simon didn't have that. And maybe you think you're okay, but maybe you're not. Confessing your sins and making things right and asking if there isn't the sin of spiritual pride. Remember, the harshest words Jesus had was for the scribes and the Pharisees, not for the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. The second lesson that we learn is from this woman. And that lesson is tremendous that there's no sin so bad, so dirty, that it keeps you from the forgiveness of God. And isn't that like just so overwhelmingly good to know it's such an amazing forgiveness that Jesus didn't go, you're a prostitute, get away from me. But he showed mercy and compassion on her if there's a lesson in all of the Gospels, it's the way that Jesus treated the woman caught in the act of adultery and treating this sinful woman. Because it tells us that no matter what we have done, we can go to him. When we made our way through the book of Leviticus, we got to the portion of the book where it talks about how to sacrifice animals. And it's very bloody. They poured blood in a basin sacrificed the animal, dipped a, uh, uh, a bush in it, I think it was hyssop, and sprinkled it on the people who were gathered together so that blood would have been everywhere. And we ask, why so, why so bloody? They smeared blood on the corners of the altar. The priest would have been covered in blood in giving sacrifices. And when we picture the cross, why did Jesus have to die such a brutal death? Wouldn't, wouldn't just dying be good enough? Couldn't he have just been beheaded? Couldn't he have just been killed? But he have to, did he have to die a death on that cross for six hours, that excruciating pain that every time we hear about it, we get uncomfortable? A few years ago when uh, Mel Gibson did the movie, The Passion for Christ, I, I saw an interview where he said, in the scene where Jesus is being scourged, he says, I wanted to take people up to the edge of what they could tolerate, and then I wanted to push them over the edge. And I think of that movie, and I think, yeah, he did that. I got to the point where I couldn't watch anymore. I was in the movie theater, and I just had to put my hand on my head. I just didn't want to see anymore. A few years later, we were with Mike McIntosh, and we were in Puerto Vallarta, and we were doing a... Um, I can't remember what the name of his crusades were, but I'd been invited to go and do some work with the volunteers and doing devotionals in the morning for that crusade in Puerto Vallarta. And so I got to know a lot of people and it's the night of the crusade, the first night of the crusade, and I go get on the bus 
And I'm so excited because we're all, you know, we're all working together. We're all going to be counseling people after they come forward. And I jump on the bus and I'm really excited, but everybody's really down. And I'm, I'm, I kind of look around and somebody points to the TV on the bus and I look up and the passion for Christ was on. And Jesus is in the throes of his suffering. And I thought, maybe that's not the best thing to show at a crusade. Maybe it is. Maybe it puts our hearts in the right place that, that Jesus died for sinners. And, and I understand why someone would do that. But it just took us over the edge. And so we say, why was the cross so bloody? Why was the death so brutal? Because sin is so bad. Because so much sin has destroyed people's lives that it had to be for everyone. Literally for everyone. Before Jeffrey Dahmer was murdered in prison, you remember who Jeffrey Dahmer was? He was a cannibal. He, he kidnapped men, his homosexual kidnapped men, tortured them and ate them. When he, before he got killed, he made a profession of faith. And I remember hearing that. I was driving to, to the staff meeting at church and I don't know what I heard it on. I don't know what I was listening to, but I heard that he had given his life to Christ and I said, no, nope, 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 nope. Cannibals can't be saved. That's like too far. You've just gone just one step too far. And I remember God just gently speaking to me. Why not? Why not? Is there any sin that has gone too far? So that if you're here today and you think, I've gone too far, I've done it too much, God can't forgive me, just remember this woman that had the boldness to walk into the house of a Pharisee and despite what people thought, to have an emotional breakdown at the feet of Jesus and find forgiveness. What an incredible lesson. The third lesson comes from Jesus himself. Willing to forgive Simon, but Simon not having a heart to be forgiven and willing to forgive this woman. Jesus' response to Simon with the invitation over to his house and this woman coming to him and Jesus being willing to receive any who would come to him. It reminds me of where the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. In the Old Testament, call out to me, God said, and I will hear you. What incredible promises. No matter who you are, if you call out to God, God will hear you and God will forgive your sins. And tonight before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender yourself to him. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Father, what a great account. What a, what a moment it must have been when this woman walked into the room. Silence must have struck as she began to cry and began to weep at his feet. But Lord, how we thank you that we see such incredible compassion on your part, such forgiveness. And we're so grateful that you have forgiven every sin that we have ever committed. We stand holy and clean before you. And you are leading us in the way that is everlasting. And I pray for those that are here today that have never received your forgiveness. Maybe they're like Simon and they don't think that they need it. Maybe they're like this woman and they think they've sinned too much. I pray for everyone, including those that are watching live online, 
that you would speak to them, that you would touch their hearts, that you would show them the incredible forgiveness that you have given. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.